This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm your host, Chief Content Nerd at Love Thy Nerd, Drew Dixon, and I'm joined with the Chief Executive Nerd of Love Thy Nerd, Chris Qualtney. How you doing? What up? I need a I need like a catchphrase. I tried the what up <laughs> thing right there, but I don't know. Yeah. Put the puppy wrong. in the bucket. What? There was this. Uh, um, yeah, that needs an pa- explanation for Pat- sure. Patton Oswald, you know who that is right, the yeah. king. So I I saw him do stand up one time and. Uh, he was lamenting how Larry the Cable Guy has made millions of dollars just by saying, get her done. Oh, yeah. And how annoying that is to him. So he's like, so I need a catchphrase just so I can make some more money. And uh, I'm going to try one out on you guys today. And here it is. And it was put the puppy in the bucket. Yeah, I don't think it caught on. No, it didn't. I really. could try it, it though. Maybe next time. It. it was really funny. The way he said it was funny because he said it kind of like, a mix between him, his nerdy sort of way, and then he tried to sort of be kind of like Larry the Cable Guy and just didn't uh, work, yeah. and it was really hilarious. I guess you had to be there. Yeah, you had to be there. Uh, we have a special guest, and that's Mike Sellers. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How's it going? Do you have a catchphrase? That was his catchphrase right there. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Do you always say that? Like if somebody's like, is that your is no, that regular not really. It, okay. I was just thinking, actually, when I was in college, people told me my catchphrase was, no problem. Like no matter what that no happened, it was like no problem. We can fix this or get out from under it or something. <laughs> I used to be in um, in student ministry as a student pastor for a while, and um, my students would always make fun of me because I always said when I saw people, I'd be like, "Hey man," that was my thing. That's "Hey man." I mean, it didn't matter who it was, <laughs> guys, girls, just "Hey man." This is my thing. I think you st- you still kind of do that. I still do it, even yeah. as you said it. I was like, "Oh, that's true." But I kind of have like a, I'll admit it, I have a little bit of a nasally voice. And so they would dial that up and they'd be like, hey man, you know, like <laughs> they did it to me all the time. The great thing with saying, hey man, is when you don't remember someone's name and right. Hey Mike, how's yep. it going? Hey, hi. Hey man. <laughs> hey man. Yeah. It's, it's really embarrassing. It's, than it, just, it's so obvious. It's less obvious than if you just say, hey. Hey. <laughs> so it's, it gives you at least something you know, to hang your hat on. But my but wife anyway. swears that I do finger guns at people all the time. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really think that I do, but she says that I do it all the time and she hates it. First of all, how can you hate finger guns? We should do it all the time now. I mean, like all the time. Yeah. Good morning. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, finger guns. First thing we wake up in the morning. <laughs> Super in your face, exaggerated finger guns. I just roll over in the bed and I finger gun. Yeah, that might that might fix it. She'll probably never get onto you about it again if you just do it like horribly offensively. You yeah, know? with my middle That's finger. Like, but but <laughs> if, it, if it backfires, uh, delete this off the off the podcast. I, I never. You said got it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely do that. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what's you've worked on several games in the past and and are working on some projects now as well in different different phases of the gaming industry um yeah how would you you kind of introduce yourself as someone who's participated in the gaming industry for a long time well so now i am the director of the game design program at indiana university i've been here for about four years 
Uh, prior to that, I've been all over the games industry. Um, my wife once said, though she denies it, she once said that I don't have so much a career path as a career swamp. Uh, because I've kind of <laughs> meandered from place to place. Um, yeah. So I started off in studying cognitive science. I actually originally wanted to be a neurosurgeon. That's a whole other story. Oh, uh, and then uh, uh, became a software engineer and then a user interface designer and to have my own consulting company doing that after a while. And and then my uh, back in the mid-90s, by 94, my brother and I started a company uh, and we produced a game uh, called Meridian 59. I was the lead designer on it. It was the, the first mm -hmm. 3D MMO. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Back before a lot of people knew even what the internet was. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've done uh, a couple of their startups since then. I've worked at uh, Electronic Arts uh, in both their Maxis and Origin Studios and worked on uh, a lot of MMOs, a lot of mobile games, a lot of social games, uh, free-to-play and AAA, really kind of across the board. Uh, the other big thing that I guess I've done is um, I ran another company uh, in the early 2000s uh, doing artificial intelligence. Uh, so we were working on games, trying to the, the whole idea behind this was to make non-player characters, as we used to say, that would be more than vending machines. So non-player characters that you could actually interact with. That's still okay. one of my goals. Uh, so we ended up working with uh, DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's, it's yeah. the real Matt scientist group. Um, and I got to say, it's a lot of fun to go up there to give your quarterly, like, hey, here's how we're doing, because you get to see what everybody else is doing, and they're just doing the wildest, craziest things. <laughs> um, anyway, so we worked on that uh, for several years. I ran the company for nine years, actually, um, and unfortunately, I had to shut it down. Had two successful exits with the other companies, but then had to shut that one down and went back into industry, and then a few years later, uh, came to Indiana. Never lived in the Midwest before. Never thought I would live in the Midwest, but... Honestly, I kind of love it here. Um, wow. So now I'm, I'm teaching and running this program and uh, have the time to do some uh, creative projects of my own. Oh, I, I wrote a, a textbook um, a couple years ago, um, and then or last year, it was published last year. And then I'm working on a tabletop game uh, about um, people building a town together. So it's kind of it's semi-cooperative, semi-competitive, because everyone has their own goals, but, but everyone is also trying to build something together. And that, it turns out, is kind of a, a big theme for me, this idea of, of what does community mean and what does it mean to build something together, something that I find mm -hmm. myself going back to over and over and over again uh, in, in different parts of my life. So basically, you've not done much with your life. <laughs> like I said, it meanders. <laughs> it all makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. What a waste. <laughs> the underachiever in my family. So... I'm actually from Indiana. I lived there for 20 years. Really? Where, whereabouts? Anderson. It's uh, 40 miles north uh, east of Indy. You wouldn't go there on purpose, probably. No, <laughs> I wouldn't even recommend it. I've, I've been to a lot of the small towns around here, actually. And it's, uh, I mean, Bloomington, I got to say, being a university town is different than every place around here. Um, sure. Oh, yeah. But it's, uh, Bloomington's wonderful, and I love little small towns. Um yeah, just really good people. Um, very, very different uh, culturally, religiously, politically, everything. Um, but but uh, but still just wonderful people in a wonderful part of the country. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you worked on The Sims too, right? Yes, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, so um, probably the biggest title that I've worked on uh, that people know is The Sims 2. Um, and then I, I also ran a uh, – so I was, I was the lead designer on that for, for about a year. Um, so things like aspirations is, is some of my work that survived in that. 
And then uh, I, I also ran a game called Realm of the Mad God. That sounds familiar. It's a it's a uh, non PvP bullet hell shooter MMO, trying to cram as many things as they could into. I didn't make the game, but the, the company I worked for bought it, and then after a few months, handed it to me and said, "Make this go or kill it." Um, we were able to make it go, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was a lot of fun. That's hard for me to imagine those things in a game that you just said. <laughs> it was very creative. A bullet hell MMO, but it's not PvP. Right. So it, it, the, 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 the idea was that if you're on screen with someone, you're automatically in a party. So if you and I are characters on screen together and you kill a monster, I get some of the, the experience points too. And just that simple thing made for really cool um, sort of bonding. People would automatically group together like physically on the screen and run around and, and you know, kill monsters. And yeah. you couldn't attack some another player if you wanted to. We actually had a lot of requests for, oh, could you make a PvP server? And when we mm -hmm. dug into it, it turned out that the very architecture of the game, the player characters were literally invisible to each other. So it would have taken yeah. you know, re-architecting re the entire game to make that work. So uh, we couldn't sure. do it. But it was, it was a lot of fun to work on. My One of my That's things cool. that people sometimes remember is uh, the economy had been broken in this game because uh, there have been a lot of item duping, you know, duplicating the various items. And there was one item in particular uh, called the, Am the Amulet of Resurrection because it was also a permadeath game where when your character died, that's it, they're gone, but you might unlock a new, a new character class that you could run. But if you had this amulet on, your character would just spring back up and keep going. They were supposed to be very rare, but people duplicated them, so they were just everywhere. People had stored like thousands mm -hmm. of these things. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I took over the game in September. This is several years ago now, 2013, I think. Anyway, um, we started a thing where on in October 1st, there was a 1% chance that if you're wearing an amulet and you died, instead of resurrecting, you would turn into a zombie and attack the players near you. <laughs> and it was great watching the oh, forums because people were like, Hey, this happened, and people are like, no, 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 that didn't happen. You're totally making it up. And then what we do is we incremented the chance it would happen a little bit each day. It's so like two percent, four percent, six percent. And somebody finally got a screenshot of it and posted it. And other people were just like, that is so totally Photoshop. And they it was. <laughs> and, and then by the end of the month, by Halloween, it was a hundred percent chance. And so that's how we took these things out of the economy. Uh, that basically yeah. you know, after they were a cursed item, and you know there was no reason to use them. Um, oh, that's rad. Yeah. It, it, that's cool. It seems like those are the types of like fun, creative design choices yeah. that Dangerous you can too. only it like backfire, but it went well. So, right. Yeah. Like you can only really make in, in kind of unique multiplayer settings, you know? Um, yeah. Like, like this. Plus I had the, um, like I said, I had the, the orders from, from on high in my company, you know, make it go or kill it. So I was like, well, let's see what happens. We, yeah, yeah, let's try. Let's try some stuff. We did a lot. Of, yeah, that's let's cool. Try that. And, okay, that didn't work. Oh look, that yeah. worked well. Yeah. And I like your approach to multiplayer too, because I feel like um, the way I approach uh, multiplayer games these days is I either know some people that have the game, mm -hmm. and so I get it and try to play with them, or I don't buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't buy the game, and and so a game that like in its core mechanics encourages you to team up with people you don't know is really cool to me because I think there's just this temptation. There's this tendency today to just assume like, Oh, I can't, I can't play with random people. Like that's not going to work out. Right. Um, right. But when you've designed into this, this some incentive to do that and it's actually rewarding to do that, that's, that's really compelling to me. 
and some games these days have done it very, very well. Um, my the go-to example I still use is a few years old now, but it's a, a game called the Game of War Fire Age. It's one of those build an empire on you know mobile game, build an empire, crush everybody else. But they did some mm-hmm. things in there where it really is rewarding to play with other people that you don't know and to go into an alliance together. And they have mm-hmm. the, the, the formal name for this is social reciprocity, where I do something for you and so you now want to do something for me. And they've built that in as a game mechanic that works really well. Uh, but yeah, I, honestly, I'm surprised we don't see more of this. We, we see it from time to time in games, but but not as much as I'd like. So you are now running the game design program at uh, Indiana University. Right. And you like living in Bloomington, and uh, yeah, or are you working? As far as you know, is no, that, no, that surprises me all the time. Hey, I live in the Midwest, uh, yeah. and I love it. <laughs> Where yeah. did you move from? Uh, most recently, from from the Bay Area. So my wife and I lived in Pacific, yeah. which is just south of San Francisco. So what I tell people is, we used to go for sunset walks on the beach, uh, and we moved away from that to the Midwest. And my quality of life is better than it's ever been. Right, because you don't spend 90% of your income on rent, probably. And all the time on the road and everything else, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's definitely cheaper in Indiana. It's got that going for it. <laughs> it does indeed. It does indeed. I mean, I love the Bay Area, and, I, and I've lived a lot of places. I mean, I, I lived, uh, we lived in Austin, Texas, and, and just south of there, and lived in Oregon, and a bunch of other places. Um, and I, um, well, we can get into more of this later, but but I, I actually, you know, my wife and I met in high school in the Philippines, so... Um, Oh, wow. all over. Well, what um, I'm curious if you, because you've worked on a lot of different things. Is there something in your game design past that you're most proud of? Is there a project that you did that you look to and be like, I'm really glad I did that? You know, there's a, there's a few things. Um, I mentioned the aspirations in The Sims 2, and that, that was something I was really proud of because it it gave The Sims a longer-term outlook, something that the player could, could shoot for as a longer-term goal. Uh, prior to that, mm-hmm. and when you say aspirations, oh, explain that yeah, so, for um, for uh, so listeners. In the in the first Sims game, uh, the Sims were all about um, fulfilling their needs, their social need, their toilet need, their food need, things like that. If, if somebody became urgent, they wanted to go fill that need. But it was all very very short term, and they could fall in love, but you could also get, get them out of love pretty easily. Uh, mm-hmm. You could just uh, put them in the swimming pool yeah. and then take that ladder out. Exactly. Everyone goes to that again. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one example I always remember when I think did. of Sims. I know um, yeah, that's terrible. It, it is kind of a little bit, yeah. Um, but but so with aspirations, we gave them like, what is serve your life goal? Is it to have a good career, uh, have uh, love in your life? I honestly don't remember all of them now. We had a whole bunch and we had to pare them down. Um, but the idea was to um, give the player a longer term goal so that they're soon to have something longer to, to shoot for. Um, and in this game, there was a really interesting dynamic between the player and the character where people saw themselves reflected in their sims a lot. And they would make like apartments or houses that reflected their own living situation. Uh, I remember we had one early on, we had one customer support uh, email that came in. And someone said, I was going to write this email about um, how my sim will just get up in the morning and go sit down in front of the computer and play computer games all day. And I couldn't get them to go outside. And then I thought, wait, maybe I should get up and go outside. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this really kind of poor uh, relationship. Actually, something Will Wright told me. Uh, I, I didn't. I was not there for the whole. I got there right at the end of the, of the of the Sims development. But he said in his mind, the Sims was always 
at its core an anti-consumerist game. I'm kind of like, wow, that didn't come across to me at all. But his point was yeah. that um, the more stuff you buy, the more stuff breaks down until at some point, if you buy a whole bunch of stuff, you're running around fixing thing after thing after thing, and you are in effect owned mm. by your stuff. And he said, you can always get more yeah. time. Okay. You can always get more money. You can always get more stuff. You can never get more time. And so really the lesson mm. was how do you spend your time? Um, so I'm not sure that came across yeah. quite as clearly as it might have, but uh, um, back to your question though. It's because we're so blind oh, yeah. to our own consumerism. All, we don't want to believe that that's true. <laughs> well, or we don't want to, we don't want to simmer in that right. that idea for very Simmer. Long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Good so one. this is a pun show. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is now. <laughs> um, I was going to point out another game that I did that no one knows about because it, it had a very small but, but enthusiastic following uh, called Holiday Village. We um, okay. We built this um, in seven weeks. Uh, it was a crazy short amount of time. I would never do it again. But the idea was um, sort of high concept. Of this thing was people could go online uh, with family or friends or you know loved ones who were not near them at the holidays and build those little holiday villages, like those little Christmas villages that you see people like people buy these ceramic houses and stuff and put them around their Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. we wanted to give them that experience online. So um, and we actually had some user personas that we put together, and one of them was. Um, a woman who had a couple kids and her husband was deployed in the military and was in Afghanistan. Uh, and so couldn't be with them, but they could get together and, you know, build these little, this little village together. So we had lots of selections of houses and buildings and Christmas trees and street lights, and you can make it snow and you can make it daytime or nighttime. And we had, we called our music box mode where you could just turn this on and this, the scene was sort of panned by you as this very, gentle music it was actually uh, a wonderful arrangement of in the bleak midwinter uh, would play and it, and it would snow christmas lights would come on it was very soothing and kind of wholesome and, and really wonderful um and uh, and we actually had a mom write into us and tell us the, that she was in exactly the situation that we had sort of set up for ourselves as one of our, our user personas that her husband was was deployed and so they played this online and, you know people said oh i play with my sisters we never ever get together the holidays but at least we can do this together um, and so there was a little bit of a game in there and that you had to you know, unlock the buildings and things like that, but it was pretty gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, and our plan was to make this, um, I mean, it was, it was very Christmas focused at first, but our plan was to, uh, you know, make it much more open and much more ecumenical in that in terms of having, um, you know, Hanukkah and other kinds of things. And then, and then moving it into, if, if we'd have been successful, we would have moved it into spring holidays and summer holidays and the fall holidays. So you'd have your village. All Halloween year. village. Yeah, exactly. Just all year, all year round. But it did, or um, National Cheeseburger Day Village, <laughs> or more like Flag Day. You last know? Week. I mean, we had a very American outlook okay. for this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, guess yes, we could we could yeah. adapt it to anything. But uh, uh, unfortunately, it, it, there's not like there's a there's a holiday every day. It seems if you like pay attention to Facebook, if you, or <laughs> if you, if you dig deep enough, there's a holiday for everything. Uh, today is you know natural National Leeches Day or something. No one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, leeches are well, not people, but you know they they deserve a holiday, right? Anyway, that one they serve a purpose. That one I was very proud of, just because we did it in a very short amount of time. We had a wonderful team; it was very cohesive, and we we really hit our design goals. Now, the, it was not commercial; it was not commercially successful for very long. It, it, it just we didn't have the money to put into the advertising to to get a, a following behind it. But I was always really pleased with that one, um, and that honestly, yeah. it also was another one of these little signposts in my own life of. 
there's something about the notion of, of small towns and, and the notion of community that is really powerful for me. Hmm. Um, uh, in, in fact, I, I saw this just recently looking at um, the opening sequence of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, the, the little buildings yeah. there. And I, I hadn't seen this for decades. And I remember watching this as a little kid. And I think that really affected me. I think the idea of these cool little kind of model buildings and you can make a small little town, that's really sitting somewhere deep in my psyche. Uh, and so I keep going back to it as hmm. different ways with different game designs. So uh, is that something that, I mean, well, it's interesting to me, I think that this game that you're talking about, this Holiday Village and then The Sims 2 obviously comes to mind. Um, of games that have a community building aspect yeah. to them, is that something that motivates oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I did um, a fair amount of research when we were working with the uh, the defense department, kind of on this subject relate related to the AI that we were doing, um, because AI is we're making social bonds, and we're anyway. There's a lot of stuff going on there, and one of the things I found out is that there's a lot written on community, but there's no single. Um, like accepted definition for what a community is or, or how you can identify when something is a community, which amazed me, honestly. Um, I mean, like in biology, you know what a cell is. This, this is a cell. That's what it does. Uh, but there's nothing yeah. like that in, in you know, sociology or anthropology. There's a lot of different studies of these things. I mean, a lot. <laughs> anyway, so yes, for mm-hmm. me, I think that the notion of community is um, one of a couple things that really drives me uh, in, in terms of you know how can we increase community how can we, we how can we do that through through games um, and how can we how can we play with the concept and and educate ourselves of what it means to be part of a community because I think that's something that's just really really important I guess I've said there's probably two or three things that are that really drive me uh, in terms of my own creativity and, and you know pursuits like this and looking at community from different angles is certainly one of them and also I think too, there's this element of like, of both of us, of that game and the Sims of being games that don't have, they're not necessarily aimed at like the core, like the quote unquote core game or whatever that is these, these yeah. days. Um, you know, they feel like they might reach a, a new audience. Um, is that, is that something you think about too, of like trying to make games and, and use interactive media to reach people that, you know, are not quote unquote gamer bros. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not something that's at the top of my mind, you know. And I, I don't play a lot of shooters, but I do play some, you know. Uh, and certainly, uh-huh. a lot of the MMOs have, have been pretty hardcore. Um, but that's just not my style. Kind of not where I where I go to creatively. Um, I have always been interested in in trying to increase um, the audience for games, but it's never been a real primary driver for me. I mean, some people say I'm going to make a game for uh, you know, people with, uh, I don't know, people with this mental illness or people who are in this situation or people who are above 60 years old. And that's kind of their focus. And I just like, you know, I, I'd love for people of, of, you know, many, many different, you know, niches in life to uh, to play my games, but that's not what's driving my, my creation of them. I guess it's, just a, it's a byproduct, really, a happy byproduct. How did you get into the teaching gig? Well, uh, I mean, I've always loved teaching. I've, I've done a lot of sort of informal teaching and, and mentoring over the years and um, just, you know, knew I, I enjoyed it and thought I could probably do it. Um, and I'd always wanted to at some point go to the academic side. The, the hard part being that I have only a bachelor's degree. I don't have a PhD uh, because, mm. you know, 
20 years ago, there weren't PhDs or anything in, in, in games. Yeah. Um, people were more like, you can make a living at that, you know, <laughs> face. Um, so I, I had a, a friend uh, that I've been, you know, that I'd known online and have been talking to as a professor here. And I actually started talking to him saying, hey, there's another university I'm, I'm thinking about. They have an open spot. I'm thinking about applying for it. And he said, okay, well, that's great. I'm happy to read your application. But if you're really interested, we should talk because, you know, we're really thinking about getting something started here. And it was just one of those things where the stars aligned. And, uh, you know, I came out and met people and then did what they call a job talk for you, this standard thing in, in academic practice where you, you go in and give a talk and they're really trying to see, can you string two or three words together? And can you, do you have interesting you know, <laughs> ideas? Um, and I guess yeah. I did okay or, or, or fooled them or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I gotta say that I, you know, I've had some, uh, I've had some leadership education and you know, training through, through industry and, and, and I've, I've been kind of a, in a mentor role to a lot of people over the years, which I, which I love. Um, and, but oddly, almost all of my teaching experience prior to this comes from my church. So, uh, hmm. which is, you know, I think unusual for a lot of people, but I've, I've just had a lot of experience with that. And so it was just not a big deal for me to get up in front of a classroom, whether it was 10 people or a hundred people hmm. and, yeah. and, you know, give a lecture or, or lead a discussion or have them do some, uh, you know, some exercises. Now I will say too, that I've, I've had a lot of, uh, help here since I've gotten here. They have a, a, a the university has a terrific set of resources to help you be more creative in your classroom and not just drone on in a lecture. Um, sure. But uh, so it's, you know, I, I learned a lot before I came. But the lecturing part of it, it wasn't intimidating not to at you all. necessarily. Not at all. And yeah. honestly, it may just be that I, I'm missing that gene that makes you afraid of public speaking. Well, it is interesting that you bring up the church thing because I think a lot of people do get some really, like the church provides that for a lot of people, some good public speaking experience obviously it's one of the greatest fears people have. So it's not like it comes easy to everybody. Right. You know? Right. Um, that and going back to the community side of things, honestly, I think you know, church for a lot of people uh, in whatever form that takes provides a, a really important uh, part of their lives is, is being part of that community. And I, I really do think that's uh, just one of the human needs that we have. So it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely. Well, you brought it up. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about church because we like to get into that on this podcast. Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously going to church and stuff. Did you grow up in a particular church? What church did you grow up in, and, and what was yeah, that? Yeah, so like? I, I grew up in a, a Presbyterian church in the in the D.C. area where I, I my childhood. Um, so we went, you know, we were regular churchgoers uh, every week, and you know, was part of the youth group there, and had what you might picture as a pretty standard upbringing in the uh, 1970s um, as part of a you know a, a kid going to church in a in a Typical Presbyterian congregation. It was a, a you know, really wonderful congregation, a lot of respects. Um, and uh, my uh, my folks were were certainly religious, but not. Um, I mean, they were sincerely observant. Let me put it that way. But they weren't um, remotely anything like overbearing or or. I mean, I, none of the negative sides of what you might think of with religiosity. Um, yeah. My mom. Uh, my mom is my mom, and we all love our moms, right? But. Honestly, okay. uh, I'm not the one who said this. My mom is about as close a person, uh, as close as we've seen it, it to to Mr. Rogers in like another person. She was she was really uh, a wonderful person, um, uh-huh. and she became uh, you know a, a sort of a uh, secondary mom and, and mentor to a lot of people as well. So, and, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of it came from her faith. Um, so you know, we we certainly celebrated um, holidays in, in, a, in a faithful way, and like I said, went to church every Sunday, and that was just that was part of growing up. Yeah. 
And uh, and growing up, it was something that you bought into, like you would have called yourself a Christian growing up, like you believed? Mostly. I mean, we were encouraged to really um, search things out for ourselves and, and to, to question things. And again, not in, mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people talk about, oh, you should question everything. It's in kind of a, a, a cynical kind of way. And I, I don't mean that at all, but just in, a, in the, the idea, which I still really embrace that, that you really have to understand these things for yourself. And I, I think this is true, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, religion or politics or your favorite ice cream flavor, you know, this is something yeah. you've got to know. You can't, if someone wrote the best, you know, you got to decide that on your own, man. Um, <laughs> right. um, so, you know, I had the opportunity as a young teen to join the church, to, to be baptized in the church. And I actually didn't do it. I, I, I went kind of right up to it. Not, not quite up to the altar, as you might say, but, but pretty close. And I just decided this is not for me right now. Um, mm. and I continue mm. going to church and, um, really try to sort of figure out my own beliefs. Um, and then we, we moved to the Philippines, like I said, when I was in high school, um, and that gave me a, a great deal of exposure to many, many more kinds of, of belief, um, both yeah. from, from living there. What moved y'all to the Philippines? Uh, my dad was working for the U S government. And so he's a psychologist. And so we just, you know, went off there for well, five years, um, Okay. So we were civilian. We weren't military or anything like that. Uh, but we, you know, mm-hmm. we lived in, in Manila and went to you know regular school. And um, there was the uh, the school nearby us for kids of uh, of Protestant missionary families, where the, the families might parents might be off somewhere else in the islands, uh, you know, way in a remote place, and the kids would be boarding there. Uh, and so we, we we had that. You know, had a lot of friends at at, at uh, uh, Faith was the name of the Faith School Faith Academy was the name of the, uh, of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we had, you know, kids from all different walks of life and, you know, 50 some odd nations represented in our high school. Um, and so mm-hmm. all different kinds of, of religions and, and philosophies. And I have to say too, our, our school is kind of advanced in that, um, we had the, the international baccalaureate program, which is known across the U S now, but the time was really new and it was just a super high standard. And, uh, so we, we, we're expected to learn a lot of different uh, world cultures and philosophies and religions. So anyway, I got a lot of different exposure um, to, to different kinds of, of thinking and, and still wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Um, and when I was uh, after, after high school, uh, when I was in college, there's obviously a whole lot more. We only have a certain amount of time here to realize, but um, I did finally decide on the path I wanted to take. And I decided to join the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I've been, a Mormon now for, for uh, some number of decades, um, a long time. Uh-huh. Um, and that was, uh, you know, that was a big decision on my part. Uh, and it was one that I, I really kind of, you know, tried out different things and let's, let's try this direction. No, nah, not that one. That doesn't quite feel right. And like I said before, I think this is something mm-hmm. that everyone needs to come to on their own, whatever their decision is, you know? Yeah. Um, so now with our yeah. kids, uh, some of them have, are, are also members of our church and some of them are not. Some have decided not to do that. And, you know, yeah, in all honesty, I'd be happier if they were. Um, well, I guess I'd be happier if they were. I mean, the, the big thing I want for them is to do what's true to them. Uh, sure. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, uh, uh, I think, the kind of decision that we all face. You, know? you haven't shunned them. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I've been watching. Uh, have you seen this? um uh Leia Remini documentary that she did on Scientology. Oh, I've seen just a few parts of that. I mean, that's terrifying. I mean, you just need to see a few episodes and you get the idea. Yeah. The whole thing is about how, like, I guess, I guess if you take her word for it anyway, 
I, I don't know a whole lot about Scientology, but you know, it's, they encourage people to sort of shun their children if they leave the, leave well, the this church, is, this is the, um, which is like super yeah, sad. So that's why I sort of joked about that, I guess. I just had that on my mind. <laughs> I mean, having grown up as a son of a psychologist, um, like there's a lot of, of things I've learned about, um, you know, if someone says, hey, we're going to have a late night seminar. This is one of the seminars that's going to go all night long and you're going to stay here, you know, until morning and, and we're going to do this thing. And, you know, and like, hang on a minute. I know that my defenses are at their lowest between about 2 and 4 a.m. And I'm willing to, I'm likely to accept a lot of things you know, without critical thinking that I might not otherwise accept. It's just a lot of things like that. And when you start seeing these kinds of things pop up, whether it's in a religion or, mm -hmm. you know, a, a business scheme or whatever it is, there's there's things that to me are red flags. And and just what little I saw of that TV show is like, oh my gosh, it's just, there's, there's, it's rife with yeah. red flags. Right. Yeah, for sure. So what, um, what drew you to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? How did you uh, land there? Well, so the easy answer is I had a girlfriend. Uh, a girl that I that I spoke who I'm now married to. There it is. Yeah, but you know we had actually come to an agreement a long time earlier um, that you know we enjoyed discussing our our various religious viewpoints, but it was not something that we were going to either let drive or define our relationship. And so when things started getting kind of serious, uh, we were like, hold on a minute here. We've both got to be sure that this is that that the you know, either that we can live with the differences in our beliefs or that that's that one of us isn't caving to the other one or, or anything like that. So, um, mm -hmm. again, there's a, a whole lot of uh, story that I'll have to write up someday. But um, I didn't exactly break off contact with her, but, you know, we didn't talk to each other for some time. And, and just partly because we we're both in school and in, in different places. And I was I was also trying to figure all this stuff out, you know. So there's a lot yeah. I could say about why, you know, what attracted me, but there were some some things like uh, the notion of community, uh, the notion uh, that the, the way that the, the theology of the divine really spoke to me. But I think really what it comes down to is not something that's intellectual or emotional or, or even relational, but just the kinds of things that speak to your heart. You know, um, if now on the one hand, I'm not someone who believes that sort of whatever whatever works for you, whatever, you know, your truth is or whatever, that's great. And it's sort of completely malleable. I do think there's a certain amount of, you know, the real world exists. There's a certain amount of, of reality and, and some things are, are true and some things are not. That's yeah. that. I mm -hmm. also think that we are each on our own journey here and we're each developing in our own way. And so like with two of my kids, I would never say, well, your sibling took violin lessons. So you have to take them too, because that's the only, that's the only right way to develop. Um, you know, one person is going to do something yeah. better than, you know, it's going to like something better. It's going to, it's going to draw them better than, than somebody else would. So for me, this really drew, you know, it spoke to me and, and it really, in a, in a very deep way, that's really difficult to articulate. I think for, for any yeah. sort of chosen a, a faith oriented path, um, it, it speaks to you in a way that, that it is difficult to articulate because I don't think it is cognitive at that level. I think it's, there's something very deep in us and I would say very spiritual in us. Um, so that was certainly the case with me. And I, you know, I, I tested this out a, a lot and, and sort of rolled it around in my mind a lot and, and eventually thought, okay, this is, this is the thing to do. Um, there was a quote that I wish I could remember now, uh, talking about how at some point in their lives, everyone comes to a decision point where you say, I'm going to go this way or that way. I'm going to join myself to this kind of thinking or this kind of thinking, this other kind of thinking. And mm -hmm. it's a choice that we make. And, it, and uh, even putting that off is itself a choice. 
Anyway, so yeah. the short, short answer is it spoke to me uh, in, in some very deep, essential ways. What, um, because you're actually the first, uh, I think you're the first Mormon guest we've had on the podcast, which is cool. Congrats. Um, yeah, congrats. There's only a few of us Bro. I know of in, in Game Dome. There are, there are a few, but, but not that many. There's an achievement you unlocked. I'll send you the certificate. I get a badge. I get a badge. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's a really big deal. Um, but uh, I think maybe there's, I would guess, I think everybody has like a friend or most people have a friend that they know who's like, oh, that family's Mormon or whatever. They're the um, ones that Like my neighbors yeah. are actually... Uh, my, my neighbor who, uh, comes over and plays board games with me, uh, my next door neighbor is Mormon. Um, and so I know a little bit about it from, from them and from friends I've had and stuff. But I also think there's a lot of like misinformation out there, um, or assumptions people have about, about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How would you frame it? Like if someone said, what does it mean to you to be a Mormon? What would you say? The first thing I would say, it, it means you're a Christian. And you're one of, you know, there are many types of Christians or many brands, I guess you can say. Uh, and, and so uh, LDS people are Christian. That's the, that's the first thing. And, and a lot of people say, so do you, do you celebrate Christmas? Yes, we celebrate Christmas. Um, but you know, we are Christian in that we, in, in the same way, there's a, there's a huge Venn diagram overlap, is I guess what I'm getting to, in that, that we believe in the mm-hmm. divinity of Jesus Christ and the, the salvific nature of, of Jesus Christ, if that's not too much religious language for a podcast. Um, right. The, the primary difference, I would say, is that we don't um, align ourselves with any of the traditional churches or a capital T in, in the Catholic sense or, or the, uh, the Protestant or Reformational churches. Um, so a core aspect of, uh, of LDS belief is that the, the, the church existed anciently, and then um, died away as the apostles died away, and that's the apostasy is described in the New Testament, and then was restored uh, in the 1800s um, in, a, in a way that seems kind of odd to our thinking until you consider like Paul on the road to Damascus. So this is where you get into uh, Joseph Smith being visited by an angel and being told not to join any of these other churches and, uh, and the, being led to find the Book of Mormon and translate that. Uh, which is uh, taken as a, a record of God's dealing with people on this continent. Um, so that's mm-hmm. you know in a in a very small nutshell. But I guess the big things are it's we're, we're Christian, but we are we're what's called a Restorationist Church, uh, not a not a Catholic or, or Reformation Church. Um, and, and we mm-hmm. also treat the Book of Mormon as uh, as scripture as well. What do you, what do you mean by a restoration race Restorationist uh, Church? Well, I, I, there are other restorations. Oh, what you just yeah, said. So, yeah. Just, that, just the, the, that it was a restoration, not a reformation right, or something exactly. existing. So, so God coming down and saying, okay, okay, you know, things have been going all right or things haven't been going so well. We're going to restore this um, in uh, not as dramatic a fashion as uh, as Christ's moral ministry, but uh, not entirely dissimilar. Um, just in that there's, a, there's a, an abrupt mm-hmm. change. Right? Okay, we had this going. Now we have this going here. Um, and rather than growing right, out right. of an existing church, starting something completely new. So I'm curious, um, with your parents, uh, you know, being raised Presbyterian and all that kind of stuff, like, was there any tension there? Um, you know, when you decided to become a Mormon or like, no, was that kosher or not? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, so my parents are wonderful people. Um, I mean, there was, I'm sure, concern on their part. You know, oh, he's doing this for a girl. She's a very sweet girl, but nevertheless, he's doing this for a girl. And mm-hmm. 
I have seen people do that. And, and my experience has been that if you're doing this for someone else, it just doesn't, doesn't last. And that's not, I mean, that's kind of anything like, you know, you see mm-hmm. someone who changes how they dress for a guy or a girl. And it's like, okay, that's not going to last. Uh, you, you're going to go back yeah. to flip flops <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, I mean, we, we had a few talks about it, but, um, it was never, it was never a roadblock in our relationship. And, and I think that, that as, um, I think for any of us who would consider ourselves to be Christian, if you really stop to think about it, the overriding thing is, can I have a loving relationship or how can I best have a loving relationship with this person? And if you're, if that's your orientation, then the first thing you're going to think of isn't, and, and how can I tell them they're wrong about this? Because that's not how you have a loving sure. relationship with someone. Um, but, um, you know, so again, whether it's my parents, my friends, my kids, um, I shouldn't, I don't believe it's, it's right for me to be approaching them in a way of saying, well, okay, first thing that I do is talk about how you're wrong. And then if we can get past that, we can be friends or family. Uh, I think it's the exact Mm -hmm. opposite, you know, we're friends or family and I just don't really understand your taste in TV shows or your beliefs about God or how you can wear those pants and not that that sort of trivializes that I realize, but, but saying <laughs> at some point you have to realize their life is not my life and it's not my job to define their life for them. And so with my parents, they, yeah. they very much took that, that attitude saying, you know, my mom used to say that she's not raising children. She was raising adults. Um, and I really love that, that notion. Um, yeah. as parents, we try to emulate that as well. You've got to remember, this kid may be 13 and stinky and smelly and obnoxious, but at some point they're going to be an adult and you really want them to be a happy, well-adjusted adult who has a loving relationship with you. You want them to be less stinky and less obnoxious. Ideally, yes, but these things come in time, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. some of the stuff you're saying here actually leads me to this next question. So oftentimes we, on our podcast, we'll have one of our monthly supporters uh, join us and listen in and get a chance to ask a question. Unfortunately, the person we were going to have had to back out at the last minute, but I do still have his question and it kind of goes along with uh, what we're talking about. So this is from Elliot, uh, one of our monthly supporters. Elliot, and, uh, Elliot Ianello. Yeah, Elliot Ianello. And uh, he's actually in the middle of reading your book. This question doesn't have to do with your book, though. Um, <laughs> That'd be too easy. But... Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll read it as he wrote it. Mr. Sellers. So obviously he respects you because he said Mr. Sellers. I've always found it important to keep my beliefs as a Christian simultaneously in check from projection onto others and uncaged from projection onto my daily actions. Uh, An intellectual hero of mine, Bishop Robert Barron, has used a more eloquent phrase to describe this. As followers of Christ, we should always seek to propose rather than impose. Oh, I love that. What are some techniques, if any, that you have used while working as a game designer to allow your work to be moved by your faith without the risk of the influence seeming too overt? Yeah, that's a terrific question. And I think just a... Yeah. <laughs> an easy one. Yeah. Just an easy oh, sure. question. Um, you know, there's the the saying that is attributed to St. Francis... Um, isn't really, but but we'll keep St. Francis's name on there. Uh, preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's very much in the same spirit uh, of of uh, uh, proposing, not imposing. Um, so I think the first thing is just how you live your life. Um, 
you know how you how you carry yourself in your day to day life and work with other people. Um, I am far from perfect. Uh, you know, I mean that's that should go without saying, but but um, I at the same time have. I believe a reputation as being someone who is fair and good to work with and things like that. Um, I say that with, with a bit of a twinge because I'm sure there's people out there who don't think that. But on the whole, I've been as successful as I've been able to be uh, because I have cultivated good relationships of respect and integrity with other people. Um, mm. Just briefly, there's a thing that I call the Ocean's Eleven moment that I just love. And I've had several times in, in my career where I've been able to call people up and say, hey, I'm doing a thing. And you know, here's what we're doing. And they said, I'm in. And it's people you worked with before. <laughs> and they know you well enough to know your weaknesses, sure, but to know your strengths. And, and just that uh, being able to call people and say, okay, I need one of these guys, one of these guys, and one of these guys. And I call them on the phone and say, they say, yeah, I'm in. And that's just yeah. one of the best feelings. And it comes from, I think, developing a, a reputation of, of some integrity anyway. So I think that that's my that's my base mm -hmm. answer. Um, you know, as a as a university professor and as as someone you know just to work in my community and my church, I have a lot of opportunity to uh, to work with other people to mentor people. Um, certainly, as a, as a manager, I've had the oppor opportunity to do that. It's rare that a a question of faith comes up in that context. It's common that questions of integrity or other principles that emanate from faith come up in that context. Um, so I don't. I don't either hide my faith or parade it, you know? Um, and um, I've had people say things like, oh, I didn't know you're Mormon. Oh, I guess it makes sense. And which is much better than hear, oh, you're Mormon? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say yeah. I've had a couple people who yeah. had some really strong preconceptions of what a Christian was or what a Mormon was. And, yeah. and you know, so I'm someone who, um, you know, speaking for myself only, and not meaning to cast aspersions on anyone else, but I, I understand science. I, I am deep in the psychology and artificial intelligence. I mentioned community before, but, uh, but the nature of consciousness is, is a really big deal for me. One of the things I love studying. Um, I, I don't like saying I believe in evolution. I say I understand evolution. So I've got no problem with it mm. from, a, from a religious point of view. Um, these are things mm -hmm. that, that, and yet I, I would consider myself someone of uh, an imperfect but, but striving faith. Um, and so, you know, I don't, uh, I don't see any contradiction between any of those things. And I think it's only when someone comes to their own preconceptions that they, that they do see those things as, or those kinds of things as being compatible. Um, so, you know, I think the, the answer to the, the ultimate answer to the, to the question though, that Elliot asked is just, you know, I think living your life. And I think if, if people see you living the kinds of values that you have, then it will come out and people will, will understand who you are regardless of whether or not they know where you go to church or, or that you go to church. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, it's, um, to me, that's also the longest term answer in that um, you can go up to everyone on the street and say, hey, you know, do you believe in God or, you know, any number of, of things of that nature, you know, sort of, and that's, that's very much imposing or, you know, you're wrong if you don't see it my way which is, I think, a very short-term, very human kind of point of view, as opposed to saying, you know what, mm -hmm. we are all God's children, and we should try to learn to love each other the way that God loves us. And part of that is respecting each other and helping each other and having good relationships with each other, uh, and not trying to say, and by the way, you're wrong. Well, this is the part where we say, by the way, you're wrong. No, I'm <laughs> what a I'm perfect kidding. segue into our next section. 
<laughs> and now in the you're wrong round. Yes. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. I think, yeah, I think I can relate to that because I think that there is this, um, there's a lot of Christians who would hear that like St. Francis of Assisi quote that St. Francis probably didn't actually say and be like, well, whatever, like the gospel always requires words. Mm-hmm. Like it's a mess. It's news. Yeah, right. Yeah. So how do you communicate it without telling people? And so we primarily see our role in the world as this one of, um, like our number one goal, goal is to proclaim the good news and to tell people that they need to like, whatever, well, submit yeah, to that, it, I mean, right? Obviously, the, the um, Mormon missionaries are, are famous, right? I mean, everyone knows the guys, the white shirts and the little black knee packs. So <laughs> it's not like as a church, we're, we're yep. against that. Um, personally, right. I think that there are lots and lots of ways to approach the uh, the Great Commission and, and to, to approach the, the, the need to um, tell other people the good news of the gospel. I just I believe mm-hmm. that the one of the least effective ways is to is to impose it, is to bash people over the head with it. And that one of the most yeah. effective ways yeah. is when someone comes to you and says, you know, um, in fact, we, we had something like this happen years ago. Um, we had some next door neighbors and they said, you guys seem to have a happy family. How can we have a family like yours? And I, I mean, that's a that's a crushing moment when you've just been yelling at your kids, you know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah. but at the same time. Um, it's not like we were parading it around or trying to say, Oh, look, we, we need to put on a good face for the neighbors. I mean, you are who you are. Sure. Um, and so when someone comes to you and, and like in that case, uh, our next door neighbors, um, their kids started coming to church with us. They never did. That was fine. Um, but you know, I think that, but I, I know actually that they ended up living more happily because they made some adjustments in their lives. It didn't involve anything directly related to faith, but they were able to take some things from, from what, what we were doing, what we were able to say to them and apply them in their own lives and be happier as, as a result. And I, I can't think that's a bad thing. Well, yeah. And I guess what I was going to say is that I think, um, like, I mean, I, I, I in no way want to discourage people from, from sharing what they believe with other people. I think that's like a wonderful thing to do. But I also think that, um, yeah, like there's this, uh, you know, either, either people are like, I'm saying this poorly. The gospel is more complicated than that. Like the good news isn't just that there's this, this message that you need to submit to. And if you don't like, then you're on the outer, you're either out or you're in. And that's, that's the main point. Like it's, it's also, um, yeah, it's good news because we believe that, you know, like God is doing something good in the world. And, um, that there there's hope and there's uh it's a me- it's a message of hope and acceptance and and people need to to see that well, I, I, in, in other people before they're willing to have those especially in our culture in this day and age where everything is like um religion is right, so politicized right. well, you know that's, that's a, um people need to see something that's that's more substantive i was gonna that. say you know if it, if it is a message of hope and acceptance then we need to to bear that out and to live that out and that means that yeah. when uh, you know you talk to somebody a friend of yours about religion and they go, hey, you know, thanks, but no thanks. If you then drop them as a friend, then I've got to ask, what kind of friend were you in the beginning? You know, to, to begin with, how, how sincere was that? Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing yeah. is, I think, and this is, I think, both wonderful and difficult, is that we live in a pluralistic society. And I am a 
I'm a huge proponent of that uh, in terms of I don't want uh, my religion or anybody else's religion in our country, the United States, to take primacy and take something away from somebody else's religion. Because for yeah. no other reason, inevitably, that can be turned against me and, and, and people who believe as I do. So even if we're on top today, mm-hmm. yay, you know, we could be on the outs tomorrow. And that's not what I think civic life should be about, much less what, what religion should be about. Right. And hopefully we've created, if that's the case, we will, if, if that's the case, like that we're on top now, and then maybe we won't be yeah. <laughs> whoever we is in the future, or we're really going to regret <laughs> it if we never created, like, if we never created space to be different, you know? Yeah. If we never created space uh, where it was okay to disagree about some things, like, we're going to really regret <laughs> that. <laughs> well, and I think that then that leads me also to the idea Possibly. that, that, what someone else believes, even some of my own family, is ultimately not my responsibility. Uh, we believe the, the yeah. concept that typically free agency is how it's termed, but the idea that freedom to freedom of conscience, freedom to decide for yourself, that everyone has this. And in fact, it's one of the, from a theological point of view, one of the inherent aspects of our of our nature is that we have the ability to decide mm-hmm. and to choose our own path. And so, you know, I can raise my kids right, quote unquote, right, the way I see it. But at some point, they're mm-hmm. going to grow up and, and be adults. And I can no longer decide things for them. And the sooner as a parent, I believe, the sooner I recognize that and prepare them and me for it, the better off we're all going to be. So like I said, I have kids who are, who are active in our faith, and I have kids who have absolutely stepped away from it. Um, and it doesn't, you know, I don't love them less. It doesn't uh, put a damper on our relationship. I mean, honestly, we have more more problems with our you know, public politics and TV shows than, than we do with, with that. Um, <laughs> and again, not to trivialize, but just to say that it's it's I think it's one of these things that's sure. deeply personal and something that we have to respect in anybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear uh, what people in your church think about your profession and your work in the games industry, because I'll just like I'll just admit it. Like I think of mormon people as having pretty strong moral sensibilities Usually, yeah uh, and i may be wrong about that but but like no i don't, I don't think that's like an admirable no, no, thing no, no, that's a, it's but, a typical cultural uh, creature so. and yeah and christian like like conservative christians tend to kind of look askance oh, yeah. at video games and uh have some pretty big hang-ups with the industry in general um and, and their kids like getting into it so what's your experience been like telling people in the church, like, oh, yeah, I make video games. I've made video games, and now I teach people how to make video games. <laughs> it's been all over the map. I mean, so when we lived in southern Texas, uh, there are people who, members of our, of our church, who really, I think, at some level, weren't quite sure how it was we got in the door, that I got in the door. Because, you know, <laughs> game, you know. That sounds like Texas. <laughs> I mean, there are people, uh, conservative Christians, conservative Mormons, who uh, – who believe that you know playing playing cards are of the devil that that kind of thing, uh, much less mm-hmm. role playing games yeah. where you're casting spells. I mean, you know, um, and I will say we raised mm-hmm. our kids playing all sorts of board games, and I, whenever possible, still run a family D and D game uh, at, at Christmas time where we're able to get together. Um, so you know, that's been something that's that, cool. a, a figure of our, our you know, aspect of our lives for a long time. So, will you be my dad? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, then, uh, so I also lived in, in uh, area of California where um, people were like, well, yeah, okay, fine. That's, that's what you do. We all do different things, uh, you know. 
uh, the guy uh, who is our, we have a lay clergy, so he was our bishop, which is like saying he's our minister, our parish priest. He was, his job was he was a, a park ranger, and he was also a big-time surfer. So, you know, and, and people, I'm sure some people looked at him and said, you're a surfer? How can you be a surfer and be part of this church? Um, but, you know, now yeah. where, I, where I am here, um, there is a, a board game night every week that I often don't get to go to because it's a little bit later than I'd like to be up. I'm an old guy. Um, but it's just a bunch of guys from our, from our church. So um, it, I think as the acceptance of games culturally has broadened, it's also broadened within the ranks of our church. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure I could go find some um, – well, I'm trying to use the least derogatory terms I can. Um, some relatively <laughs> narrow-minded uh, member of my church who would be, you know, harumph and like, well, I don't know. How can you do that and call yourself a good person, a good Christian, a good Mormon? You know? Yeah. Because man, you're going to find those anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, I think yeah. I've been relatively yeah. fortunate, um, and I, I have talked to a few people, a few parents uh, in my church about about this. But also, I, I'd say now uh, as a professor, and you know, I get students and their prospective students and their parents come in and the parents are not considering issues of faith at all. They're just like, this is a university, you know, a, a major university. You're teaching game design. How does that work exactly? Um, right. And one of the lines that I use is that, you know, we all eat food. We, we love food, but that doesn't mean that all of us are cut out to be chefs. So in the same way, we may, you know, many of us play games, but designing games is a different thing from playing games. The same way that eating food is a different thing from cooking food. Um, so we yeah. have a, we have a very, uh, intensive and very thoughtful program here. And that's how I've approached game design. So what I've had to talk to people about in the past, um, that's, that's what I've talked about is that, you know, it, it's a, it's a matter of, uh, a thoughtful, creative skill that you put into it. And then when you're fortunate, you can help people understand something better about themselves or about the world or about their community. Um, and if that doesn't work, I talk about evolution that gets them angry and they forget the first thing. So, <laughs> Great. <laughs> At least you got a backup. Exactly. You got to have a backup. It just changes the subject. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, cool. Well, uh, we've kind of ran out of time here, but uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. This was really fun. Yeah, I appreciate well, it. Thanks very much. It's been a great time talking with you. Yeah, I feel like there's so much more we could have talked about, about you know your faith and how that's impacted your work and stuff. So maybe we'll have you on again sometime. Oh, I'd love to do it. Let me know. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, where can people find you online? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I, I have a blog that I don't, that has cobwebs on it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, onlinealchemy.wordpress.com. I'm on Reddit as iugameprof. And those are probably the two most visible places where I exist. Okay, cool. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drudix82. Chris is on Twitter, but doesn't use it. Uh, you can follow Love Thy Nerd at, on all the social medias at, at Love Thy Nerd. You can follow our community. If you want to be a part of the, the Love Thy Nerd community, just search for Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook, and you'll find that. Um, that is separate from our Facebook page. So go like our Facebook page and then go join our Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook. If you don't like Facebook, you don't like doing community there, uh, that's okay. We're looking into some other avenues, perhaps some new avenues of community building for Love Thy Nerd. So be looking for that in the future, hopefully. Um, Also, we have a whole network of podcasts. So uh, Humans of Gaming is just one of our podcasts. We also have Free Play, which is 
uh, digs into all areas of nerd culture and is uh, just super fun and super funny. And those the guys that do guys and gal that do that are fantastic. So go check that out. Um, also, we have a new comic podcast that we hope to be revealing soon. By the time this co- comes out, I think the pull list will be out. So I think I can mention that. Um, go check that out if you're into comics. Chris, am I missing anything else that we need to tell people to check out? Thanks to Elliot for yes. his question. Sorry you yeah. couldn't be here, buddy. But uh, yeah, if you'd question. like to come on one of our podcasts, um, particularly this one, Humans of Gaming, and ask one of our uh, esteemed guests like Mike Sellers a question, um, give us some money. So that would be helpful. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I do want to say that what we do is not sustainable uh, without the help of our monthly supporters. So. Um, we put a lot of time and thought and energy into this podcast. We put a lot of thought and time and energy into the website and our trips and, uh, and our social media presence and our community, all the things that we do to try and, um, yeah, to be responsible, loving members of the nerd community. Um, if you believe in that mission, um, yeah, I would just challenge you to put your money where your mouth is and give us some of it. Um, <laughs> and help support <laughs> this um i really believe in supporting things that you believe in if you, if you think this is worthwhile work and, and help us out we, we can't do it without your help so um that's the end of my commercial thanks again mike thank you very much you guys